0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the What's Next Live happening today with someone I have admired for many years, Hubert Jolie. Thank you so much for joining us today here on What's Next.
1: And Tiffany, thank you for hosting this and I look forward to our conversation.
0: Well, before we get started, for those of you who don't know who he is, let me read this quick bio because I think it's pretty amazing. He's the former chairman and chief executive of Best Buy and is now a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School. He is also a member of the board of directors of Johnson & Johnson and Ralph Lauren Corporation, a member of the International Advisory Board of HEC Paris, and a trustee of the Minneapolis Institute of Art. He has been recognized as one of the top 100 CEOs in the world by Harvard Business Review, one of the top 30 CEOs in the world by Barrons, and one of the top 10 CEOs in the US by Glassdoor but an all-around great guy. That should be the ending of that. So thank you, Hubert, again. <laughs> yes. Thank
1: you, Tiffany. Thank you.
0: Well, before we get started, um, you know, for those of you joining us, please pop in the comments sort of where you're joining us from. It's always great. And if we have somebody from Paris, please post a question in uh, French and Uber will answer it for you. But as we get started, I always start with something I call bullish and bearish. So are you ready, Hubert? Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it.
1: Yes, I'm ready. Of course, I'm yes. the All right,
0: <laughs> all right. The first one: artificial intelligence generated art. Uh, bullish. Oh wow! Even on the board of an art gallery, I'm interested to hear. All right, mm-hmm. the next one: underwater hotels.
1: Uh, bearish.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> all right, and then the third is virtual reality shopping.
1: Uh, Yes, bullish, but not. I'm not excited personally, but bullish, yes.
0: Okay, all right, we'll go with that. Yesterday was the launch of Uber's book, The Heart of Business. I have it right here. I have an advanced copy, so go pick it up, you know, if you love this conversation or if you're just looking to really learn about somebody's journey. So with that, I'd love to start, Uber with the meaning of work. I think you've got a very interesting perspective because I think people understand sometimes why we have to work <laughs> because you know we have to pay bills, but why we work and the other is the problem with perfection. I'd love to hear your opinion, yes.
1: Yes, so most of us spend a very large percentage of our life working. So I think the question of why we work is a very legitimate question. And of course, you know, some of it is we need the money, right? Let's agree to get the kids to college to eat and, and so forth. But there is a self-reflection piece here Is work a curse or a punishment because some dude sinned in paradise? Is it something we do so that we can do something else? So in Minnesota, I'd be watching the Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers, which sometimes happens, not always. Um, Or is it really something that's part of our quest for meaning? Is it something that is part of our fulfillment? Uh, Is it something that can give us joy and meaning in our life? Uh, I love this quote from the Lebanese poet, Khalil Gibran, who said, work is love made visible. And my sense is that in the heart of every one of us, even, well, yesterday was may the force be with us, right? So Star Wars days, even Darth Vader, his son, believes that he's got some good in him still. In In our heart, there's a desire to do something good in the world. And I think it's magical if we can find this opportunity in our work and we can actually find you know energy and passion in our work. And I think that's the foundation for me of what I see is the necessary reinvention of business and capitalism more broadly around the notion of purpose, meaning, business as a force for good, and placing people at the heart of business. So we'll talk more about this. Perfection. Oh my God, perfection. Ah. It's a disease. It's a disease. Um, I don't know about everybody's experience, but when I was growing up in France, the teachers would spend a lot of time telling us everything we did wrong. Not what we did well, but what we did wrong. And so that led me, and there's many of us, right, like this, to want to excel and be perfect, confusing performance or progress and perfection. And there's a friend of mine who once told me, Bear is a monk, so the, he told me that the quest for perfection is evil. Right? Because, well, he was coming at this from a religious standpoint and saying that the fallen angel, you know, who left God, thought he would, and it was a he clearly, he thought he could get, you know, be on his own. He didn't need anybody. So perfection means i complete. I don't need anybody else. And here's the problem in business life with perfection. First, you know, you're not going to like yourself (laughs) because here's the scoop. You're not perfect. So you're actually not going to like yourself and you're not going to like other people on your team. You're going to have human beings. And guess what? They're not perfect. So they're going to be. That's how I saw it. Right. Obstacles. To achieving something. And that's such a sad thing. And it's a much better outlook, which is, okay, my name is Hubert. I'm not perfect. I need help. Okay, I'm going to ask for help. And then, if I see one, a colleague who also needs help, well, we're going to help each other. You can admire somebody who is perfect, you cannot love them. And I think in life, life is all about human connections and relationships. And the only way to open these relationships is by be, being vulnerable.
0: Well, I, I think that there's so much that you said there because I think that's aspirational. You know, people sometimes don't know how to put that in action. And and one thing I wanted to Hone in on is that, you know, investing in yourself and how to be better. It's not about being perfect, but being better. And we share a common friend, uh, Marshall Goldsmith. I'm I'm one of his hundred coaches, and of course, he endorsed your book. and And I'd love for you to share that a CEO like you, right, top hundred in the world, top thirty, top ten, all of this. You had a coach, and so talk us about talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, Tiffany, thank you. And and uh, you and I are brothers and sisters from a Different mother maybe, but I love that. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, if somebody had told me Jack or Mary is uh, working with a coach, I would have said, what's wrong with them, right? <laughs> like, who, who needs a coach? Are they in trouble? <laughs> what? And then Marshall, uh, who was my coach starting in 2009, invented the idea of feed forward, right? So, in fact, when I joined Best Buy three months into it, things were going well. But I, I told the team, look, uh, this, let's agree that this turnaround is going to be difficult. The reason why I know it's going to be difficult is everybody thinks we're going to die. That's how you know. So <laughs> that, means, that means that each one of us are going to need to be the best leader we can be. That starts with me. So Marshall is going to come in. He is going to ask you for feedback, which, you know, he, he did and he gathered it. And he said, aha, Hubert, you don't need to do anything. There's nobody who decides what you should do. You get to decide whether you want to do something and what you want to get better at, which is a wonderful positive notion as opposed to six months ago you did this, that was bad. cannot change this. So I went back to my team and said, all right, thank you for all of the feedback. I've decided to work on getting better on these three things, number one, number two, number three. I'm going to follow up with each of you Ask you for advice on how I can get better at these three things, and three or four months from now I will follow up a second time to see how I'm doing. Of course, uh, believe me, Tiffany, excruciating pain (laughs) to have to do this for somebody like this, like me. But then so helpful because I got a ton of ideas, and also signaled at the same time to the rest of the team. You know, if you need to work on something, that's okay. We're we're all on this journey. In fact. If you interview somebody else from Best Buy, ask them, what are you working on? Everybody at Best Buy is working on getting better at something, and then we help each other. Because if Mike is working on that, then I can give him advice and we we trade. And so it's uh, created a culture of progress and vulnerability and camaraderie and, and mutual support. That was a, a game changer. And now, so away with <laughs> perfection and on with, wanting to get better and helping each other and, and being kind yes. to Yes. right? Especially in these times, you know, one of the things that Marshall does, he encourages, that's great advice for everybody. You know, at the end of the day, if you can, maybe at the end of the week, do some self-reflection. Maybe you, you, you guys already do this, right? And, and the question that Marshall encourages us to ask is, did I do my best today? You know, to you know, have a good conversation with Tiffany, or take care of my children, or work on our growth strategy, and you know, do a self-assessment. And if the self-assessment is not great, be kind to yourself. There's a week tomorrow. You can yeah. get better tomorrow. Yes. So great advice from our good friend Marshall. Hello, Marshall, if you're listening. Yes. Hello,
0: Marshall. <laughs> well, you know, we, we have a connection also that um, uh, you know, I, I obviously now I'm at Salesforce. Before that, I was at Gartner. But before that, uh, I ran a division of Gateway Computers. Um, right when, right when the stores closed, and we uh, merged with e and all of a sudden we showed up in retail because we had closed our closed our stores, right? Uh, and that was our new kind of go-to-market model. You know, I, I, it's sad to see that Gateway is no longer, right? And, and, you know, former whisper of its, you know, past self. But during that time, I think it was a very different Best Buy. And I talk a lot with people on this show about, you know, sort of what they did and, you know, how great it was and all that you just shared. But what's really difficult now is the how. You know, you take a brand like Best Buy that had a particular culture As you said, you know, things couldn't get worse. People had pretty much written you off and you have to go in and go all the way from that to what you called back to blue, which I covered in my book, Growth IQ. Um, So maybe take us through because the how I think is what gets really challenging, right? How do you shift big things like that when it comes to people, process, systems, culture, and the brand,
1: yeah, and what a delightfully surprising and amazing resurgence of Best Buy. So uh, credit to the entire Best Buy team today, right? Uh, what they, what we've done, what they've done is just nothing short of extraordinary. So there was uh, there was phases uh, in our journey, and I think it's good to break it down. Uh, first. You know, when I was approached to become the CEO, I was neither crazy nor suicidal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I thought that the world actually needed Best Buy, right? As customers for some of our purchases, we actually need a place where you can touch, feel, and see the products and get advice. And importantly, the vendors, right, (laughs) needed a place where to showcase the fruit of their uh, billions of dollars of R&D investment. At the time in 2012, the problems of the company were self-inflicted. Prices were not competitive. Uh, The shopping experience online was not great. The customer service experience in the stores, not great. So good news is if something is self-inflicted, you can fix it. (laughs) There's nobody to blame. And so the first phase, which we called Renew Bloom, was about fixing what was broken. Now, a lot of advice was cut, 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 right? You know the story in turnarounds. People told me close stores, fire people. All of the stores were profitable, so you know. And then I don't like it when people, to paraphrase, you know Ronald Reagan, would say that uh, people are the problem. No, people are the source. There's a the solution. So in order to fix the business, I spent my first week working in a store in San Cloud, Minnesota, listening to the frontliners. They had all of the answers.
0: So, wait, so before you say before you say anything else. I want everybody to hear that because I've been, you know, so many people on the show give that one nugget, ask better questions and listen,
1: right? That's right. right. Go ahead. How many ears do I have and how many mouths do I have? Right. (laughs) And and so so my key job was to take notes of what they were talking about. You know, they wanted to be able to match online prices. They wanted to have a better shopping experience on the site. They wanted to to redeploy the, f- the footprint in the stores away from physical media to the growing categories. They, they knew all of the answers. So my job was put it down and then do it. <laughs> the second thing is, I uh, you know, in this people-centric approach, you know, firing, head, you know, reducing headcount in particular on the front end, that's the last resort. Let's first try to see how we can grow the company. It's amazing what top-line growth can do. So in the turnaround manual, number one is grow the top line. If you're going to go after cost, which we had to, and we did take $2 billion of cost down, focus on non-salary expenses first, which is the bulk of the cost structure at most companies. And only reduce headcount if you really need to, uh, and as a last resort. And then the third element of this people-centric approach, as a leader, and I was a culprit of this, think, you know, I tended to think that uh, with my McKinsey background, it's all about problem solving, coming up with the right answer, Eh, you know, it's not the case. Our role as a leader is to create an environment that can unleash human magic. It's to create energy. In physics, we learn that energy is a finite quantity, not in human organizations. So that's our role as a leader. So it's about co-creating the plan. It's about getting going, celebrating the small and early wins, talking about the problems. We're struggling with this. Well, let's get a team together to jointly uh, solve this. And so that was a, a big piece. The other thing is uh, there are several big diseases in the world today. There's the pandemic, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. The other one is a, a pandemic of uh, you know zero-sum games. The only way for you to win, Tiffany, on this show is if I lose. That's crazy, right? Right. I agree. And, uh, you know, the partnerships we did with the key vendors, the, 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 the world's foremost tech companies, who have all now a uh, store within the store at Best Buy, that was a game changer. Good for the customers, good for Samsung, Sony, uh, Apple, even Amazon has got a presence in our store, and good for us because, of course, there was some money in it. So that was the first phase of our transformation. Then it evolved, it evolved to defining a noble purpose for the company, making it real, and then helping everyone at the company write themselves into that story. Because you see many companies today write a purpose and then nothing happens. Yeah, there's a, There are several steps to go from doing that to a time when everybody at the company has got a spring in their step, they're fired up. It's like electricity and they, they're doing great things for each other and, and, and their customers.
0: Well, there's so much there. First, before we go on, please, you know, Put your questions uh, in whatever platform you're listening to. I just wanted to let you know we've got people joining from Switzerland. We've got somebody, Katie is from London, Monique from Brazil. We've got someone else from the UK, Indiana, Bahrain, Atlanta, Sweden. We got people from all over the world. So, how fantastic! Um, But there's something about Best Buy that I think people don't realize. You know, a lot of that store in the store was really uh, born out of Best Buy. Kind of that's one. But there's a great story that I actually cover in Growth IQ around how Cisco had a product called Flip, for those of you who remember the little Flip camera. And John Chambers decided, you know, we don't want to do it anymore. Right. So he pulled it. Now, all of a sudden, right, Best Buy has shelf space. Who are they going to put in to replace? There was this little scrappy company called GoPro. And Uber and team said, sure, come on in and look what has happened. Right. It wasn't just about what Best Buy, but that was one of the very first moves to kind of go into mainstream because they were so much about word of mouth and adrenaline junkies and, you know, all that kind of thing, that it was a great move. And so what do you think retail now where we're at has to do to continue to be this sort of experiential and engaging and interesting to get people to go back to the stores?
1: Ah, I don't think it's about getting back to the store. My view, and it was it was a turning point during our journey when we went from Renew Blue to Building the New Blue, we actually said we are not a retailer. We're not a consumer electronics retailer. We're certainly not a brick and mortar retailer. We define our company based on its purpose. And that purpose was to enrich lives through technology by addressing key human needs, like entertainment, communication, health, which is, of course, a much bigger idea It's inspiring for people and it vastly expands the addressable market and leads you to innovate because in any business, it's about innovation, you know, for the benefit of, in particular, the customers. Like, for example, uh, if your technology needs are a bit complex, maybe, Tiffany, you're redoing your family room or your kitchen, handing that in a store or online, that's way too complicated. Yeah. We need to come to you. So we developed a new program called In-Home Advisor. It's a bit like a designer. We'll come to you for free, we'll listen to what you need, we'll develop a proposal, can always say no. If you like it, you know we'll implement it, and we can become a little bit like your CIO or CTO for your home. How cool is that? Really cool. You may never go to the store, right? But what we did is we deeply understood the needs of these human beings <laughs> who are trying to live a life, and it may be about entertainment, but it may be about their health, and come up, you know, came up with ways to uniquely address these needs. So for me, the definition of a purpose, a noble purpose for a company, is at the intersection of what people need, what are the human needs you're trying to address, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and how you can make money. It doesn't start with, oh, my God, I have four walls. I need people to come. Yeah. The customers don't care. They care about their needs. So you really flip it. And as we reinvent business and capitalism around the idea of purpose and treating profit as an outcome, not the goal, I think that having a noble purpose as the North Star and using the ingenuity and creativity and unique talent of people at the company to uniquely address these, um, these needs, I think that's a winning formula. As we exit the COVID crisis, hopefully at some point, many companies have been hit right in their top line. So it's not going to be a restart. I think it's a little bit like if planet Earth had been hit by an asteroid like 66 million years ago, the dinosaurs are going to die, new species. Are uh, going to emerge. It's about reimagining your business based on this idea of purpose, refocusing it, play where the puck is going, and reconfiguring it. You know, using technology and new ways of working that we've learned so much about. So that's a, that's how I think about it, uh, Tiffany.
0: Well, I, and I and I absolutely agree. And so there's a few things. One thing you said is, and I agree, right? Not necessarily getting back to the story. You you decided let's go meet the customer where they are, which in this case was in their home, right? Yeah. And that requires a very different mindset, you know? And so getting your leadership team, you know, so for those of you listening who might be an individual contributor or you're a mid-level manager or you're a leader or you're aspiring aspiring to be one, I think this is the Achilles heel I hear, right? So many understand maybe they need to change. Maybe the brick and mortar needs to connect more to the store, you know, or online, sorry. Or you may need to do something if if it's appropriate, right? Where you're going to the home to, to serve, of the customer in a different way. But that may create this angst of, uh-oh, I'm very comfortable in the status quo. We've been successful doing it. I'm worried about getting it wrong. Back to the comments you were making a few minutes ago about perfection. And I think that's really scary and challenging for a lot right now is this is a roadmap we don't know. And so how, do we, how, how would you suggest people approach these uh, decision points they have at, at, at this moment?
1: Yeah. And uh, first of all, I would say everybody listening, I'm going to bet, is a leader because everybody is a leader at the minimum of their own life. OK, so everybody leads from my standpoint. Now, I think the, the answer to your questions, T- Tiffany, um, is the question of what drives us in life. I remember when I was recruiting or looking at promoting somebody, I would put a lot of emphasis on expertise or experience. I want the best e-commerce person or the best store person or the best supply chain person, increasingly I spend time on who is this person, what drives them, what gives them energy, what do they want to accomplish in life? And I think that in business, really critical that as leaders, we ask ourselves this question, how do we want to be remembered, right? What difference do we want to make? And that we are able to connect this with our work. So that's a key question we ask everybody at Best Buy. And so if the purpose you have if you were to define your purpose is i want to be the best at running you know a store that's one thing but maybe another definition of the purpose is i want to help customers right right i want to make a difference in people's lives then it's a curiosity let's understand what they need right and how can we make a difference in their life and how can i use my unique genius you know, to, to make a difference in life. So I think back to this idea of purpose, uh, it's really critical. Now, if you're leading a team and, you know, you're, you're trying to learn something new and change, then, of course, I would say, yes, the purpose question is important. But then, like with my blue shirts in the Cloud store, you need to give them the tools, right, and invest in their development, which, by the way, is one individual at a time, right, because the individual needs differ if we have a tennis pro who is uh, coaching Federer and me, let me tell you, my needs are different. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> so mass training is not going to work. So individualized coaching. So, you know, let's give our co-workers the tools so that they can do the, the job and really invest in, in, in them. And, and they'll appreciate it, of course.
0: Well, and I think you were a little unique too in your leadership team, because uh, what I really loved when you started to get back to Renewed to Blue, who you hired and you surrounded yourself with was a little bit, and and unfortunately, this is going to be my comment, it was a little different, right? I think you had three or four female leaders, and now we have Corey Berry, who's the uh, CEO, right? So, Maybe talk a little bit about, like you just said, it wasn't the best e-commerce person or supply chain person. It was what was here and how are they going to lead the business. And it landed you with, I think, wasn't it three or four women uh, were in your executive team?
1: Uh, I had half of my team where half of my direct reports were women. And when I left, the majority of our board were women, also had three black uh, directors. There was moments, in fact, during my time as CEO of the company where we have a meeting in my office and it would be only surrounded with uh, women. They would ask them one question. I would say, now that you guys are the majority, are you going to be kinder, gentler than we were with a man vis-à-vis you? And their systematic answer was absolutely not. <laughs> now, you I mean, <laughs> I'm a big believer that you know diverse teams are more effective. Uh, at so many different levels, why would you recruit a team from just a quarter of the population with you know people who look like me that'd be that'd be crazy and then the the richness from diversity is just extraordinary. I think that as an example, I believe it had been Lehman brothers and sisters as opposed to just Lehman brothers it would have been a different outcome yes and you know of course in the last few years the issue of systemic racism uh, in this country has uh, you know really risen to the to the top of, of business priorities, because, you know, okay, had uh, is headquartered in Minneapolis, following the horrible murder of George Floyd, when the city is on fire, do you think we can open our stores, Tiffany? Right. How can you run a business if the community is on fire? How can you run a business, by the way, if the planet is on fire? You can't. And so it's indispensable that as business leaders, we think that our team at all levels be representative of the customers we want to serve of the communities that we are a member of, and that we really create an environment where everyone can, you know, can feel they belong. That starts with each individual, it's one individual at a time. But then you also have to look at the systemic issues around gender, race, ethnicity, and every, you know, dimension of uh, of of humankind. And it's a, uh, you know, people have been talking about diversity and inclusion for way too long, in a sense, without getting any significant results. So if, if it's really a business priority, which it is, I know one thing in America, in the corporate world, once we've decided something is a business priority, we know we know how to get things done. It's not that complicated. You know, it's how you recruit, how you promote, how you retain, uh, and, uh, you know, hold yourself accountable. Boards are now holding management teams accountable. Uh, and there's no going back. I think we have the opportunity to solve some of these, uh, you know, sources of really deep injustice. Um, it's going to take time, so we have to stay with it, but we have to do it, and I think we have the opportunity to do it.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it, first of all, I applaud you for all the work. You know, it it doesn't go unnoticed. I think there are um, more and more CEOs who are taking these positions. Obviously, I work at Salesforce. Mark Benioff is a huge proponent of. Uh, business is the greatest platform for change and purpose over profit, and the business roundtable and all the things around being much more uh, focused on the broader shareholder definition versus just those that are invested. So uh, I thank you for all your hard work on that. But but I also think that people miss the subtlety in you know your leadership team, your board, the people who work there should represent those that you sell to, that you're who your customers are. Uh, you know if women have you know. More than fifty percent of the discretionary spending, in some categories, it's eighty or ninety percent they're spending, and then you don't have anybody representing them, you know, or it's African American, or it's Latin, or it's Asian American, or it's whatever, um, you know, those that are disabled or whatever the word is, whatever the term or category. Understanding what that looks like, and I don't think we get it all right yet, you know, and we may never get it all right, right? The search for perfection. But it's about the effort. It's about that you show up every day to be kind and be better and, and hope that your employees uh, represent your brand so much so that your customers love you even more.
1: So true, Tiffany.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, as we start to wrap this up, you know, I, I want to just kind of frame this on a call to action. Besides going and picking up a copy of The Heart of Business uh, by Uber, uh, what would be, you know, your call to action for all these young leaders uh, and and largely uh Companies, what, what's your call to action for them?
1: I think that and thank you so much for you know helping me spread this uh, this message about how we should lead to create a, a better, more sustainable future. Right, because whatever we're doing now is not working. Right, so we truly have to embrace these new uh, principles. The key advice for every leader, self included, you know, during the time of lockdown, you know, if you cannot go outside go inside. And I know how much at Salesforce you guys embrace meditation and self-reflection. You know, when the pandemic hit, we really had to slow down and decide what kind of a leader we wanted to be, how we would want to be remembered when this thing would be over. And I think we've seen so many great examples of great leaders at all levels leading from a place of purpose and humanity. So first advice is go inside and be really clear about who you want to be? What kind of a leader you want to be? And then take care of yourself. Remember, Tiffany, in the old days when we when we used to fly a long time ago, <laughs> when we were told if the oxygen when the oxygen marks come down, put it on yourself first before you can help others. So as we go through these challenging times, and they are challenging. Let's be very clear: all of us are, you know, being challenged. Take care of yourself. So whether it's a physical exercise. Meditation, journaling, having a personal board of director, as we said earlier, being kind to yourself, and being clear about you know what can what version of yourself are you trying to be, and don't hesitate. Ask for help. My name is Hubert, and I need help. And by the way, I need help on promoting the ideas in the book. So to to your point, you know, pick it up. the the My proceeds from the book will go to the Best Buy Teen Tech Centers that help disadvantaged kids, you know, learn, teenagers learn technology skills, so that's a good thing, and spread the world. I think together we can create, amplify a movement and create a future that uh, does not exist yet, but that uh, we can and need to make more sustainable, so I need everybody's help in that campaign.
0: That what a great message, and I love the fact that you're donating it back to the teens and this next generation, and You know, I'm hopeful that this generation can figure this out, but I'm really excited about the next generation, right? Really pushing us to be better, um, be better leaders, be better owners of businesses, um, but their sort of uh, fire, if you will, is just inspiring. So, Hubert Jolie, thank you so much for your time with us. Merci beaucoup Uh, joining us from New York here today on What's Next, uh, LinkedIn Live. My name is Tiffany Bova. Please make sure you subscribe and follow and pick up a copy of Hubert's book. Thank you so much. See you next time. Bye, everybody.
1: Thank you, Tiffany.